Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. So today we're talking about understanding spiritual warfare, and what I don't want to do is glorify or focus too heavily on the enemy, but what I do want to do is expose him, and I want to bring clarity so that we are moving in the right way. I know we probably all realize this, but we are transacting at the same time in a spiritual realm and a natural realm. I want you to know today that while we are sitting here physically and we're seeing each other and, and we transact in this natural world that we live in, there is a spiritual realm in which things are happening and things that happen in the spiritual realm do affect that which is going on in the natural. And the Bible is very clear that Christians are in a spiritual war that we are to be aware of. Everybody is in a spiritual war, but Christians are supposed to be aware of it. The Bible's quite clear that our enemy would be the devil, demonic spirits, the world system, and also the flesh. We are at war with all of these. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight as he's talking to the church at Ephesus. I want to share it with you today. Verse 10, he says to them, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes or the blueprints of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness and against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Here, Paul introduces a theology that there is this spiritual arena and he can understand and wanted them to know that what we're dealing with is not people. Our enemies are not people, and we've got to understand that. People are the targets that we have as Christians to deliver the gospel of Jesus so that they can come out of spiritual bondage and darkness and wickedness so they can walk in the light of Christ, be saved, and have eternal relationship with him. People are our targets of God's love and God's truth. They are not our enemies. But Paul makes it quite clear that there are people who are doing evil and wicked things. And yes, we are responsible for our decisions, but we also have to be aware that there are things behind the curtain that are provoking, that are sowing seed, that are broadcasting thoughts so that we might walk in an evil way in the world around us. Paul could say this, unlike anybody else, Paul had been beaten he had been ridiculed. He had been mocked again and again and again. Paul had gone through so much. He's even in prison. You can imagine he's at times in shackles. He's, he's handcuffed, so to speak. And he's been beaten by people that are around him. And here he says to the Ephesian church, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, but he could point at people right in the midst of where he was right then and say, this person did this to me and this person did that to me. But he had an understanding theologically that while they may have physically done that, there was something behind the curtain that was telling them that that was okay. 
See, there's a mindset, there's a, there's a way of thinking that comes from the enemy that's trying to provoke people in order to do the bidding of that which is truly evil. There is an analogy that comes to my mind, which I've shared before. In 2019, before I came here to be the pastor, I was, I was on a plane trip going to Mexico. We fly into San Diego. I've been to Mexico about 30 times or so. Some, some, you lose track, so you end up throwing a number out there. You know how it is. <laughs> But I've been there many times. We fly into San Diego, we land there, and then we drive across the border. It's just easier to do that. We were in the plane and I started feeling uncomfortable as we were coming down into California. And there's this thing called cabin pressure. We've all experienced it if you've ever been on a plane. Your ears pop, it's very irritating, and sometimes you don't get that pop out of your ear for a day, sometimes half a day, however long it takes. But as we're coming down, as the plane's coming down into San Diego, I didn't just feel cabin pressure, but something in my mouth started to really start to be painful. And before you know it, as we're coming down, I felt this crack and I could hear it. You know, in your mouth, you can hear something. It's got an echo and it cracked as we're coming down uh, into the airport. And it was excruciating. Have you ever had teeth pain before? I would exchange teeth pain for almost, almost any other pain. Let me just clarify, almost any other pain. I would exchange teeth pain for almost anything. And I felt that and we came down. I, I, long story short, I ended up having to get it extracted because when I went to the dentist in an emergency way, he said, oh, you've got an abscess and this puppy needs to come out, uh, for which we did right then there on the spot. But I use this story to illustrate something that I think helps us with spiritual warfare. There was this pressure in the airplane, there was this cabin pressure that I couldn't see, but affected something very real in my mouth and caused a natural manifestation. It caused my tooth to crack. Spiritual warfare is a lot like that. There's, we cannot see these spirits, we cannot see the devil, we don't always know what's going on behind closed doors or behind the scenes, but there is this pressure, there's this oppression, so to speak, that is causing things in the natural to manifest. And we understand that's actually what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And as we'll see today in these other passages, we also feel and sense and interact with this quite frequently, maybe more often than we realize. C.S. Lewis said this about spiritual warfare. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall concerning demons or demonic activity. One is to disbelieve in their existence. We don't think it's real, and I think the Western world is guilty of that. There is no devil, there is no demons. Pastor Ben, why are you in talking about this today? You know what I mean? Like we should be talking about love and integrity and being nice to your neighbor. And you should not be talking about spiritual warfare, Ben, but you know I've already grabbed your attention by doing so. I can see it. And then he goes on to say, there's a ditch on the either, side, either side of the road. The other side is to believe and to have ex excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So on one hand, we don't believe that there's a devil, demons, or demonic activity. On the other hand, we're obsessed with understanding more and more. Both are ditches on either side of the road. But I think we need to clarify what we're talking about. In particular, I wanna do this today. I wanna identify our enemy. When we talk about the enemy, we've got to understand as scripture teaches, we're talking about the devil, demon spirits, the world system, our sinful nature. Let me give you a thumbnail real quickly about Satan and demons, and that's all we'll have time for today. Satan, who is also referenced as the devil or Lucifer, has many other names in scripture. 
He was, according to classic understanding, an anointed cherub, an angel that God created and fell through pride. That is a historic understanding of the devil. It may or may not be exactly the case when you look at Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Scholars debate whether or not those passages are referring to the devil at all. I'm not so sure that that is referring to the devil, but we do know that the devil is referred to in Genesis chapter three in deceiving Eve. The apostle Paul later tells us that the serpent of old is the devil. We also know in Revelation that he's the accuser of the brethren and that is his function. His function is to deceive, lie, destroy, accuse. He stands in opposition to the people of God, but the devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not equal or on par with God. The devil is a created being. He's in one place at one time, not in every place every time. He is not equal to God in any way, shape, or form. God has authority over everything. And so there are a lot of things we do not know about the devil because the Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is what it says. And so we have to stick with what it says. But he has, he has act actionable things that he is about here in the world. In Genesis 3, he deceives Eve. In Revelation 12, he is involved in the end times. And he is involved all the way through, as the Bible shows us. We also see demons, which I'm gonna spend my time focusing on today because the devil not being omniscient, not being omnipresent is not going to be tempting you. The devil is not going to come against your life. Uh, I'm not saying it's because you're not big fish. I'm just saying it's because he has sort of a strategist position, as it were. But demons or demonic activity, those are what will come against us. And I wanna share with you how that probably will happen. But what are demons? Demons are disembodied spiritual beings that seek to oppose the work of God on the earth. There are a few different thoughts about the origins of demons, but I won't go into that today. I just don't have time. The classic understanding of demonic spirits is that they're fallen angels associated with Satan and his rebellion from heaven. Let me give you a few passages to share with you why that is. Second Peter chapter two and verse four says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. I'm just using the passage to share with you about demons. Jude chapter one and verse five says something similar. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under the darkness for judgment of the great day. That's the second coming of Christ. In the Old Testament, a common and accepted reference for demons would be idols. Every now and again, a person will ask me the question, where do you see demons in the Old Testament? You see them in the Gospels? Jesus cast demons out of people. So clearly they were disembodied spirits and they could possess and oppress people. Jesus cast them out. So did the apostles. And so do we. That happens even today. The Bible does not suggest anywhere whatsoever that demonic activity is gone and no longer happening today. In fact, it, it, it is all over the world. But it looks differently and the strategy does change because there is this sense of opposition and wanting to destroy the lives of God's people and really anybody all over the earth. But where do you see demonic spirits in the Old Testament? You see them behind these idols that are worshiped. There are many different gods, little g, many gods in the Old Testament, Molech and Asherah, Ashtoreth, Baal or Baal, these gods that are worshiped, gods of other nations. And God would say to them many times, the Israelites do not interact with, do not commingle with. 
God was not saying he didn't love the other nations. He was saying, do not interact with them as you're establishing a new society and coming into the promised land, because if you do, you will actually take on their gods. You will worship their gods as they do. And God wanted his people to be holy, especially as they were establishing a new society in the promised land. But as people worshiped these idols, there was a deity attached to these idols. They might have been made out of wood and gold and silver, but there was something attached to that wood, gold, and silver. Not naturally, but spiritually. And we actually see this today. And the Apostle Paul tells us, I believe it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20 through 22, he tells us that these idols that even they were aware of in paganism during the Apostle Paul's time, he was saying that these are demon spirits. They're representations of demon spirits because there's something behind that which is natural. There's something spiritual behind it. The Apostle Paul gives us this understanding Obviously, there are a lot of other things we could talk about concerning demons, but we don't want to have assumptions or presumptions about them. Sometimes people get preoccupied with the demonic, and that isn't important. We want to know the activity of our enemy. We've got to understand what power they have, demons have, what their activity is, and how do we posture ourselves in the victory that Christ has given to us to trample over all the power of the enemy because we have power over the enemy. My concern, though, is that there are many who are being attacked, many who are being lied to, many who are owning the lies of the enemy, and they don't even know it. Pastor Ben, why are we talking about this today? Because we have to learn how to enter into the warfare in the victory that Christ has won for us and not act like we're walking in it already. I'm gonna talk to you about the activity of our enemy. First, I wanna tell you, we should never, ever fear demons, Satan, or anything evil, ever. The Bible knows nothing for the people of God to fear anything that is evil. We fear not. I mean, even if we die, yet shall we live. There is nothing to fear for the believer in Christ. Although Adam and Eve sold the whole human race into slavery of sin, we understand that Jesus came and he brought freedom because he disarmed all principalities and powers and all that is evil and wicked. Colossians chapter two and verse 15 says this. When Jesus had disarmed the rulers, And the authorities, same language as Paul said in Ephesians, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. The picture here that Paul is sharing is of soldiers when they would strip the clothes and the weapons off of those that they defeated and they would lead them through the, the, they would lead them through this procession. Okay, this is what would actually happen when, when one general would conquer the army of another, they would strip the clothes or at least the uniforms off of the soldiers and they would strip them of their weapons and they would lead them through a procession down the street as they had them captive to actually show we have total victory over the enemy. This language is employed by the Apostle Paul to say the same thing about us as it pertains to spiritual warfare, that Jesus in his cross and in his resurrection has disarmed all principalities and powers, and he didn't just do it, but he showed off. What the enemy meant for evil and thinking that he won when Jesus was on the cross actually turned out for good. It turned out that anybody who believes in Jesus would have everlasting life. Can you imagine what the devil felt when Jesus rose from the dead? 
I mean, him shaking isn't even a description of what I'm sure the enemy felt. I thought we had dealt with this, but the Son of God rose again, and he made a spectacle, a procession, so to speak, in bringing this to bear. It's amazing. Generally speaking, though, the demons today, demonic spirits, seek to oppose the purposes of God and destroy people's lives. And there is no scripture saying that this is not happening today. I think a lot of people are confused about demonic uh, spirits and or warfare, and I think the Pentecostal church can be very guilty of this as well. And uh, I mean, I went, (laughs) every now and again, you know, you kind of have this like uh, creepy feeling of what the enemy is doing because Hollywood shows these movies and these flicks that kind of, you got this horned creature and and Halloween, like the devil's going to knock on your door in a costume or something, or it's some kind of nasty being lurking around the corner waiting to like scare people with an ax or whatever, you know, the Bible does not share these kinds of of pictures that Hollywood does with us, okay? And that's part of the problem. And so we have kind of this eerie feeling about what the enemy is up to. The Bible actually says that Satan will appear as an angel of light. The Bible tells us that Satan is trying to deceive. Demons are trying to deceive. So what kind of power do they actually have? Now, this is important for us to realize, and Paul tells us what power they have in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, naturally speaking, we do not war according to the flesh. Though the weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh, they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. The word warfare here literally means campaign. Demonic warfare is a campaign of ideology. It is a deception of the mind. It is to get people to believe things and think things that are not true. This is why they want to go under the radar. The power that the enemy has today is to broadcast thoughts to a people by whatever means that is available to them. The devil or demonic spirits do not know our thoughts, cannot coerce us to do anything, make us do anything, but there is a broadcasting system that goes out, spiritually speaking. There is a spiritual broadcasting system and we can tune in and we can listen unless we can identify that this is a lie, we can identify that this is evil, and when we do that in the righteousness of Christ, we deny the lie and we profess the truth. Demonic spirits want to go under the radar. That's why it is a military campaign of ideology. It is a war of the mind. Because if the enemy can get us to think a certain way, our actions will soon follow. You live, we live what we believe. We walk out in life based on the thoughts that we have or the repetitive thoughts, not just compulsive thoughts, but the repetitive thoughts become a mindset and that mindset becomes our actions. And those actions over a prolonged period of time become our way of life. And this is where the enemy is highly invested, not only against the people of God, but against the world. And this is what we're facing. This is why we ache when we see unrighteousness in the world. I wanna say this to you today. What some thing, and some things have become political, but ladies and gentlemen, they're not political. The mindset that would say it is okay to pull a child out of a womb and kill that child. There's a mindset that says that that's okay. That mindset is demonic in nature. It's not political. It's not something that we get to vote on. The great glorious judge is going to judge every single person 
not merely for the thoughts that we think, but for the actions that we take. And so there's something that aches inside of us where we are as human beings trying to make decisions on what we should and should not do. Behind all of that, we have to understand our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Well, how is that? Are people just walking around demonized? No. People are walking around buying into the lives of the enemy and then espousing those ideologies in the world that we live in. And we see those manifested on every platform and in every sphere of society. And that is what we're working against. But here's another problem. Christians see that, especially in the world of unbelievers, and we try to act against that or counteract that by, by just the natural. And this is why, yes, we should vote, absolutely. But if we stop at the vote and our angst stops at a vote and we're not living in intercession, See, this is what Paul says. He says, our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh. We cannot defeat the ideologies of the enemy in the flesh. It has to be transformed by the power of God. Friend, you have to go back to your salvation and remember how your heart was changed. If the heart isn't changed, our hearts are not open to the truth. And if the truth doesn't come into a person's life, it will not defeat the lie. You understand, and this is what we have to do. Yes, we need to move in the natural, but we have to contend for that which God can do spiritually. God can bring about power in our world to overcome things that we will never overcome. So we have to steward that which is in the natural, but contend for what God can do spiritually. And so often we don't, so often we, but we must, amen, we must. If we are going to be people that are moving in spiritual warfare, we've got to understand how the enemy works and we have to understand how we counteract that and live in the victory that Christ has already wrought on our behalf. There's a demonic campaign. We understand campaigns, I think. We understand that somebody every couple years is going to come out with a new advertisement with a promise. If you vote for me, then I'll do this. That's what lies are like. Lies are like, if you vote for me, then I will fulfill my promise to you. Just vote for me. This advertisement, this campaign that goes up, the enemy is doing the same thing for us to buy into lies. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, that the enemy is at work in the sinful nature, in particular those that are unbelievers. Look what he says here. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, talking about unbelievers, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of, of the air. He's talking about the devil, demonic spirits, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. There's another terminology in place of this, sons of wrath. In other words, When we're not Christians, this is what we're labeled. We are sons of disobedience. We are sons and daughters of wrath. And it says that the prince of the power of the air is at work in them, unfiltered. Believers can still be influenced by demonic lies, okay? I'm not talking about being demon-possessed. I'm talking about demonized. We can be influenced by demonic lies, and we can live out 
these lies as we interact in the world. And it's important for us to get a hold of how it is that we stand against the enemy's lies. But we also must know that there is a lack of filter when we're not believers. And so as the enemy's lies come, these ideologies come, they're taken up and they're lived out. And in many cases, legislated as we're seeing in our world today. It should not surprise us. That is what the world is going to do. And ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be fighting this until we die. Sometimes people are fighting to sort of satisfy this in the natural world. We have to fight for people's salvation because that's how people are transformed and changed. If we're only fighting in the natural, we're missing the mission of God and the purpose of God. It's very important for us to recognize how it is that we go about in our warfare. Paul's appeal to Christians is, no, is to no longer collude with the enemy and to break our agreements. Demons are defeated through Christ, so they only have power through invitation and agreement. No, there's a passage in Ephesians. I'm talking to believers, okay? If you're in the room and you're not a Christian, um, you'll hear this, but it, this is for Christians, okay? If, if you're wondering how does the enemy gain a foothold in your life, Paul tells us, in fact, Jesus even tells us, but here's what Paul says. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and so doing give a foothold to the devil. I'm gonna say that again. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and in so doing give a foothold to the devil. Do you think Paul meant to say devil there? Was it metaphoric? Paul was saying that if we allow ourselves an openness to evil behavior. Now, anger is, is, is not, I believe it's a secondary emotion. We get wounded, we get hurt, and so we feel anger. But what Paul says and what Jesus says is anger cannot be allowed to have an expression in our lives. We're gonna feel it, but we cannot live out anger because it will not produce the righteousness of God. James chapter one, the anger of man will not produce the righteousness of God. So Paul tells us that if we allow ourselves to go to sleep with that anger festering in our lives, we will do what? We will give a foothold, a stronghold to the devil, which will grow and grow and grow, and it will manifest in our home. That's why we yell. That's why we scream at each other. Is that anything from God? Is that holy? Is that righteous behavior? No. Where is that coming from? It's coming from the flesh, but it's being provoked by something bigger than ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, a stronghold is just that. It's a stronghold that doesn't wanna let go. And I would tell you, if you have something with anger and you've not been able to get rid of it, it might have grown to a place where it feels bigger than you. If you wanna identify the work of the enemy in and around your lives, let me ask you a question. Are you facing anything right now that feels stronger than yourself? Are you dealing with something right now that you have not been able to break? I'm not blaming it on the devil. I'm saying maybe we have opened a door and allowed access and we are agreeing. You know, I'm mad and we justify our anger. I'm mad because she, come on, I'm talking to married people, because she. Oh, what about, well, but what about he, huh? Or what about other people? We start justifying our anger, but all we're doing is opening a door because the Bible tells us how to reconcile. The Bible teaches us how to forgive. The Bible teaches us to move in the opposite spirit. The Bible teaches us that anger or jealousy or lust against someone in our heart actually will at some point manifest in something even bigger and greater. And who's gonna win? The enemy is just massaging those lies of the flesh to get us to continue to open ourselves up to becoming less and less like the one that we're following. So am I saying that's possession? Not at all. I'm saying that's an influence. 
we can be demonically influenced and encouraged. See, there's that little guy on your shoulder that's encouraging you to go down the way of the flesh, and it's subtle. It doesn't, doesn't wanna be recognized. Starts to blame, right? That's right there in Genesis chapter three. Starts to blame. You kind of hear that voice. It's so subtle. Yeah, you hear voices. You do. You know, for me, for some reason, I've told you before, I hear like a little Sicilian guy on my shoulder. He's always like, hey, boss. <laughs> you want me to take him down? I'm like, no, don't just... It's funny, but I actually, there are times, right? There are times I hear this thing trying to lead me down a path that Christ would never desire for me to go. It's the broad road. It's not the narrow road. So Paul is telling us here, invitation and agreement. Break your agreements. Breach of contract. It may be helpful to identify different kinds of warfare. Let me do that actually really quickly because I think sometimes we distance ourselves from spiritual warfare because we think, well, that's possession. Like in Mark chapter five, where there's a person that claims legions of demons are in them. So we look at that story in Mark five and we go, I don't, Ben, I don't deal with spiritual warfare. I mean, that possession stuff. I, listen, that is an unhelpful term, demonic possession. Most scholars today would say demonization, which means there are levels of influence. So Christians ask me all the time, can you be possessed? No, you cannot be possessed, but can you be influenced by demonic spirits? Of course you can, right? Just like you can welcome somebody into your physical home, right? Have you ever had somebody and you, you welcome them into your home and they stay longer than they should? <laughs> I had a joke in my mind, it's really not funny. I was like, some of you ended up married that way. That's not funny, that is not okay. But you welcome somebody into your home. Hey, I got a guest room. And they, out, they outlive their welcome, right? And then they start to put, you know, you know something's wrong when a friend or somebody you welcome into your home puts their own lock on your door. I mean, that's a bad day right there. But spiritually speaking, if you welcome evil into your life, if you've got secret sin, if you're harboring unforgiveness, if these things are happening in your life, you may say, well, Ben, this isn't demons. No, it's the flesh. But do you, do you think that demonic lies don't have access to that part of us because we're opening ourselves up? You can't have a little secret sin and, and it be unrepentant and something not have access to it. That's why it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and allow the devil a foothold. It's like cracking the door open thinking that nothing bad is gonna come in your house. Let me, let me ask you to do something tonight to prove my point. When you go home, crack your door open and leave it open for the next two weeks and see what good thing comes into your house. That's what unrepentant sin is like. That's what like allowing ourselves to live in unbelief. I'm not talking about having doubts. I'm saying when we live in unbelief, and we have secret sin, we have unrepentant sin as believers, it's like cracking our door open every night for the next three weeks, hoping that something good comes in our house and nothing bad does. That's just, that's not even wishful thinking, that's foolish. And go on vacation, do that. Open all your windows and doors and see what good thing. Everything that comes into your home after you get back on vacation is going to need to be evicted. And as Christians, we can welcome things into our soul by allowing it, by harboring the fugitive. Those mindsets are like fugitives that we, even, that we give food to. We allow them to exist in some room in our soul. 
and we feed them and we give them water every day. And all they're doing is putting more locks on the door of the guest room that we've given to them. The longer that we keep it, it's like they put one lock in and before you know it, they got 10 locks on the inside of that guest room. And so by the time we go to deal with it two, three years later, we've got to bust down the door and it gets a lot harder to do that when we've allowed it to exist for so long. We wonder why, and every counselor would just say amen to me because I have many friends that are counselors and they know how this is. The longer that we allow these things in our life, anger and unforgiveness and all that, they may be the fruit of the flesh, but they give access to the work of the enemy. And we look at level one warfare is where the enemy would appeal, lies would appeal to our sinful nature, sexual sin, adultery, fornication, pornography, unforgiveness, unbelief, unrepentant sin, false religion, false teaching, false Christ. If we allow false teaching in our lives, things that are not true, clearly are not true, doctrines that are right now all over the place in the body of Christ, doctrines like inclusionism, this would be the doctrine that everybody's gonna go to heaven because Jesus' death on the cross was so powerful, everybody's saved. That's called inclusionism. Used to be called something else. By the way, I try to stay up on the names because they keep changing. You have to read books all the time just to know what in the world people are talking about today. But that's a doctrine. And when you believe inclusionism, you don't evangelize. Why would we send out missionaries and missions? Because it's all a waste of money. It's all a waste of time because everybody's saved. Doesn't matter what you believe, it only matters what he believed, amen? He believes in you even if you don't believe in him. I've talked to people about these. These are crazy, wicked ideologies. And the enemy wants to render the body of Christ ineffective in the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. And we don't have to be consumed with all of that, but we must be consumed with all of him. Bitterness, jealousy, hatred, foolishness, drunkenness. Friends, I'm not telling you you can't have a beer or a glass of wine. I don't drink because uh, I never know who's around me, so I've just sort of made an internal vow that I'm never gonna drink alcohol because of the position that I'm in. Um, I come from a, a friends and family that were alcoholics, and they, I don't think they could even fathom me drinking a beer or a glass of wine in front of them. It would offend them because of where they come from and their deliverance. So for me, I, in my house, we don't, we don't do that. But for you, there's no legalism in our church. But at the same time, let's not fool ourselves. If you started with a glass of wine and now you're drinking a bottle, you're medicating something. And don't think for a second that that isn't gonna open a door somehow to these lies, right? I mean, there's some things that we would say right now, they're inconceivable that I would ever think or do those things. But what's amazing about when we allow things in our life is the thoughts that start to come in, they become appealing. In Genesis chapter three, when Eve was being deceived by the devil, the devil started with questioning God's word. Did God really say? And Eve stands against that with discernment and the clear word of God. Yes, he did say. But the longer you talk to the enemy, the more appealing his voice becomes. And then it says, she looked at the fruit and it was a delight to the eyes to make one wise. And so she took it and she ate it and she gave some to her husband. The longer that we allow ourselves to hear the voice of the enemy in our lives, instead of take the clear word of God and say, that's a lie. I'm not interested. Walk away, Eve. Come on. Walk away. Go get, go get you some other fruit somewhere else. You got all these other trees that you can eat from, the, the trees of righteousness and life. Don't, don't. Put that fruit back on the tree and let's go eat the fruit of God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But we don't want to be drunk. We don't want to be, we want to be sober of mind. 
It's amazing. First Peter chapter five, Peter says to those he's writing to, he said, be sober for your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. What's he looking for? He's looking for people that are open. He's looking for that door, that crack to be open. And he'll take that crack and he'll just kick the door right on open and come on in. That, that's what we're talking about today. It's not to be foolish. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, do not be drunk with wine. That leads to foolishness and debauchery. Be sober. And he talks about redeeming the time for the days are evil. We don't have much time to be about our father's business. And this is the stuff that will distract us. Lies, deception, drug addiction, which is like the coping mechanisms that we have of our pain. We want to ensure that we're forgiving well, that we're loving well, that we're giving God our pain. Maybe we're grieving, maybe we're hurt, maybe we're offended, but we've got to give God our pain. When we give God our pain, he cares for us. Give all your anxieties for God, for he cares for you. As we lift all of the burdens of our heart, we must do that every day. You say, Pastor Ben, I'm doing that every day. Keep doing it every day. <laughs> Amen. God will care for you. The Bible doesn't give an expiration date on how, on how and when we do that. It doesn't say do that until. It just says give all your anxieties for God, to God, for he cares for you. We, we never stop. Amen. We never stop. Level two warfare is more direct attacks of the enemy, physical torment, Self-harm, false miracles, direct accusation. This is where you hear uh, second-person voices. Sometimes I was involved in deliverance ministry for about three years. We probably prayed for a 1,000 people. We'd sit them in a seat. Three of us would, would uh, talk to them. One of us would take notes. We did an intake, kind of like a counselor would do. We asked them about their history, and we would pray over them, usually for a half an hour. And if we dealt with something demonic, it would go longer. And I was a part of that for about three years. And we prayed for, like I said, probably a thousand people. It was, it was amazing. I learned a lot in those years when we were doing that. But one thing is for sure, it didn't matter who sat in that seat. Poor, rich, business owner, employee, teacher, janitor, it never mattered. Everybody's the same. Everybody can get tempted. Everybody has issues. Everybody can get hurt. Everybody can leave the door open. Everybody has family of origin wounds. I learned a lot of things in that season. Lots of people are living in denial. They live in denial of the things that exist in their lives, and the only thing it does is hurt them. This is why I'm talking about it today, is because we often fight wars that have nothing to do with us. We think Jesus wants us to do all these things, and all the while, we're literally ignoring our family, our heart, our home. We're ignoring the salvation of the people in our lives because we're over here trying to fight something that Jesus did not invite us into. He did not give us weapons for that warfare. He gave us weapons for warfare over here, but they're lying on the ground and we haven't picked them up and learned how to use them yet. This is why prayer is mighty in God. As we pray, as we come together and we intercede, the Lord moves in like a flood as we pray, as his people pray. But we, the enemy will start to get people to believe things in their own minds. So this is what will happen, just to be practical with you. You might be wondering about how does this practically work? Well, like as people grow up, you'll, you'll hear like in your mind, you might think it's your thoughts. Don't believe every thought you have is your thoughts. Just that's number one. Don't believe that. There are thoughts that are our own healthy brain. There are thoughts that come from the Lord, the mind of Christ, and there are thoughts that come from the enemy. And we have to learn how to discern between those. And the Bible gives us a lot of information on how to do that or what is what. But there'll be these thoughts and they start as if, you know, sometimes they'll come like, I am. I am no good. I am worthless. 
I am this. And it's connected to something usually in our life, an event perhaps, or how we feel about ourselves or something that happened or, or whatever, something that has power over us. But we start to hear those things. But there are times where you'll hear this, you are. Whenever you hear that in your heart, in your mind, you hear you are foolish, you are dumb. That you take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That is not from God and that is not just your healthy brain right there. That is not just a wound in your life. That is coming from somewhere, you are. I've heard that in, in, in my mind before. I've heard those thoughts. In fact, for years I had to overcome the enemy for very, in very specific ways. But my theory is this, that we'll start to hear you are, you are until we start to believe it and we'll say, I am, I am. And then his job is done. If he starts saying, you are, you are, we hear that and we don't stand against that. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that God has poured out his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible says that he became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. The, the Bible says that I'm a son or a daughter of God. If I'm in Christ, the Bible says that he loves me. The Bible says that if I ask him for forgiveness, that he not only forgives me, but cleanses me from unrighteousness. Say goodbye to your past. So we have to stand against this stuff with the truth. We reject those lies. As we deal with our enemy, how do we do that? James chapter four and verse six tells us how to do that. He gives greater grace. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. I'm not just saying this to you, amen. I'm, I'm also, amen. all right. Sometimes you're like, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. James says, submit to God, resist the enemy. It's sort of like resists. The enemy's trying to put you in handcuffs. He's trying to bring you into bondage. Resist that. He's not a police officer. He doesn't have authority. And we resist. We say no to the lies. We re resist what he's trying to do. And we submit to God. And God's power overcomes the enemy every time. We're not just walking in victory in Christ uh, autonomously. We have to walk in victory in, in Christ submitted to God. Resist the enemy. Submit to God. As we're submitted to God, no evil can befall us. No curse no curse can befall the people of God, but we must be submitted to God in Christ Jesus. And so there are many of these things that I have. I, I believe they'll pop up here on the screen, but I need to close. We repent, we break agreements with lies, we forgive, we unite, we stand. Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let me, let me just simply close by this. I took you to the end here. I wanna tell you today that as we deal with the work of the enemy in our lives, we must first recognize that he is at work. Secondarily, we must agree today that God's power has already overcome the devil and his schemes. But knowing how he works in lies helps us to shut the doors. We shut the door. How do you do that? You break the agreements that you have. It'd be like somebody coming to your door and trying to get you to buy something and they overpromise and they underdeliver, and you realize you signed a contract and there was a promise 
for you as you were signing a contract, you thought something was gonna happen. And at some point when you signed that contract, you realized that you signed a bogus contract. Well, guess what? Today is a day of breach of contract. Today is a day where we recognize that if we've come into agreement with the enemy and his solicitation to our flesh, if we've agreed with, if we've invited it, if we're allowing it, if we're harboring the fugitive of those mindsets in our life, it's time to just disagree and cancel those agreements that we have. Friend, I wanna tell you today, listen, I, 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 love our, I love our church, but we can't go home and let these things exist. We're letting the door open. And denial is not our friend and acting like it's not that bad is not our friend because what is not that bad gets worse and worse and worse. And before you know it, we can't even recognize where it started. So we must break the agreements. These agreements can bring on an unworthiness, the sense where God won't use me, the sense where we have a critical nature. We, on Wednesday night, we we dealt with being judgmental and critical and I told everyone how God delivered me from that. If you're critical, if you're judgmental, it is not your friend. It is an, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. This last year, what we have seen is church people turning on each other in the name of being right, all the while being unrighteous. So we've allowed ourselves to think I can be right and live unrighteously and somehow it's still right and it's not. We break the agreement with that lie. The enemy is sowing seed into the people of God's minds, our minds, to get us to think things and consequently act in a certain way that pleases him, following his nature. And something powerful that happens when the people of God are awakened to the truth and to love one another, to stand on what is right and at the same time intercede over those, not just what is wrong, but those that have bought into lies of that which is wrong, but to contend until the end. And we, need, we leave no one behind, nobody. Starts with our homes. So I wanna say this to you. If you've bought into anything that is affecting your own heart or your own home, we can break that today, amen? I'm not asking you to like pray a prayer and everything gets magically perfect overnight, but there's a prayer of commitment where we recognize that there's a work of the enemy and there's an agreement with the flesh and we say, no, I'm not letting that in my heart anymore. I'm not allowing that in my home anymore. I'm not agreeing with that anymore. It starts with saying no. We take authority over the enemy by saying no. I say no to that evil. It doesn't belong here. Oh God, humbling myself to the Lord, help me, Lord. And the father smiles and he says, I'm so glad because he has power over all of it. He has power over all of it. Would you stand today? Would you stand with me in the presence of God? I want to uh, pray a prayer over us. It's a prayer of agreement with God disagreement with sin, disagreement with lies, disagreement with anything that's plaguing us. And here's the thing. If you feel like something is bigger than you right now, you have something that's happening in your heart, in your home, and it's just bigger than you. You, you, you want it gone. You don't want to agree with it. You don't want to walk in it, but you recognize, Ben, this thing is bigger than me. I've tried. I've prayed. Nothing has happened. I just... I want you to put out your hands before the Lord, and we'll all do this today. 
The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How do we do that? We press into prayer, into his presence, and we claim the victory that we have in him. But we don't avoid the agreements that we may have made. So today, as I pray, I want you to disagree with the lies of the enemy. I want you to break those lies. I no longer will collude in my flesh with these lies that are coming against me. The lies that disqualify me from ministry, the lies that make me to blame and shift blame to other people. Instead, I will repent and I will turn to God. I will submit to him and he will exalt me. I will give him my wounds and I will give him my fears and he will replace those with faith and boldness and confidence and a new level of transparency. So today, Father, we come to you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you have all authority over the devil and demonic lies and the enemy's work all the way up until the end. And Revelation shows us that you have dealt with him and you will deal with him. And we thank you that those lies that are, if they exist in any of our hearts and in any of our homes right now, we pray you break them in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, come and show us those things, expose his work. And we thank you that the people of God, we rise up in the authority of Christ and we stand against his lies and we stand on your truth. Your truth says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Your truth says that we are sons and daughters of God. Your truth says that we have the mind of Christ. Your truth says that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Your truth shares with us, it shows us that you not only forgive, but you cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we come to you in repentance. So we come to you today and we pray for freedom, freedom, freedom in the name of Jesus. I thank you right now. You're he you'll heal hearts that have been worn from places of divorce. Somebody right now, you, you've had a divorce in your life and it still affects you today. And the Lord just wants to heal you from that. He wants to cleanse you and the lie that comes from the enemy to pull you back into that wound and that event questioning yourself, questioning your present and your future. The Lord's gonna heal you. Father, thank you for your healing today. Thank you that you're breaking those lies, that those echoes, we won't, not only will we not just hear them, but if we do, we'll stand against them today. We receive your grace. And that's what today, if you need that grace from God, just ask him, Father, thank you for your grace today. We're not gonna avoid, but we will overcome. We are overcomers in Christ and we thank you today. We take authority over the enemy collectively. We expose his lies. We thank you for the truth settling into our hearts. Give us a holy fire for your word and for prayer and to advance in you, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.